Bloody Elbow presents the sixth round post-fight show, which gives you an event rundown and full analysis of the bouts that took place on the current weekend's UFC event, complete with hot takes, possible next fights, and reactions to the overall card. Paid Bloody Elbow podcast Substack subscribers will hear bonus content, if available, at the end of the broadcast. Be sure to subscribe at bloodyelbow.substack.com for our newsletter and at bloodyelbowpodcast.substack.com for our podcast network. Follow us on Twitter at Bloody Elbow, Facebook at facebook.com slash bloodyelbowblog, and as always, on bloodyelbow.com. Thanks for listening. Here are your Bloody Elbow fight analysts. Hey everybody, welcome back to the 6th round post-fight show with me, Zane Simon, and my co-host, as always, Eddie Mercado. We're coming to you all from the conclusion, several hours late, I know, it's not like the normal right on the dot. This this card was at, like, it was 2am my time, uh, you know. <laughs> Early, a little early. A little early, a little early. I, I like the Europe early. I don't, I don't need the Asia card early. I can't do that. But we're coming to you guys for the conclusion of UFC Singapore going down at the Singapore indoor indoor stadium in Kalong, and uh, Max Holloway putting the absolutely expected beating on Chan Sung Jung. Yes, uh, true. Yeah, and I will say. Yes, it was. Not as bad as the end was just as bad as I feared, but the fight wasn't as bad as I feared. Korean Zombie had some moments where he landed some shots on Holloway, especially in the first round. And it was like, oh, okay, you know, it's not, it is not winning, but at least there's something here. It wasn't just Holloway styling on him nonstop. Right, which is usually the case for everybody Holloway fights. Yeah. Um, but I, I don't know. I was, um, I just, I felt this sense of honor the way Zombie went out. You know, he just bit down and said, "This is my time. This is all or nothing. Everything I've ever learned, everything I worked for, I'm gonna go out and I'm just gonna either put Max Holloway out or he's gonna sleep me." And yep. I, it, it was admirable. You know, this was his swan song. This was. This was him. Him. He could have picked a different fight. He could have picked anybody. You know, he wanted this fight. He wanted to go out against one of the greatest of all time. Max Holloway's a featherweight goat. You know, yeah. yes, Volkanovski's. Yes. yes, yes. But come on now. Aldo's yeah. one of them. Holloway's one of them, too. And you can't, you know, you can't put Donald Cerrone in the Hall of Fame and then turn around and tell me that Max Holloway isn't going to be a Hall of Famer someday. He, he'll absolutely. He's absolutely one of the best bantamweights to have ever done it. No yeah. question. I, I thought this was poetic the way Zombie went out, you know, because yeah. this is this is this is how warriors go out, you know. They this is they die in the battlefield. And it definitely wasn't the just I'm limping through five rounds, taking an absolute shit kicking nah. every step of the way. Which he went out like a boss, trying. Yeah, and, and you know, of course, it sucks to see him face plant and go ab- out absolutely cold. Yeah, but it's uh, you know, it, it could have been worse. It could have been worse. I am glad that he followed up getting knocked out like that with the retirement. I'm glad that that didn't. You know, we we aren't getting the uh, 
Chris Weidman, I've still got something left, or the Tony Ferguson. He's still my boy. Yeah, or or the Tony Ferguson whole, like, I know I've got more left in me and all that. Like, we don't need it. Right. We don't. And for Chance on Chung, I mean, the thing that's nice, too, is that honestly, like, yeah, he hasn't looked like the same fighter he used to be for a couple of years now. But he's still been winning, and he hasn't fought that much. So, like, you know, he goes out on two straight stoppage losses. That sucks. But that's not – it's not horror show territory. So – it's respectable. It's yeah. going out at the at the very top without dropping down and fighting, uh, you know, the lesser. We didn't have to see him lose to contender series veteran. Yeah, yeah, we're not. It's, it's not that bad. We're not out here watching, you know, a Sean. Oh, what's his name? Uh, the Sean, Sean Woodson go out there and like box and box a Korean zombie up for three rounds or something where you're just like, oh my god, I don't want to see this. No, this is respectable. Another yeah. uh, just it, it just further, you know, improves his resume. Like, look at he's yeah. fought everyone. He doesn't take easy fights. No, you know, it's I'll great. never forget, man. He lost his WEC debut in a split decision to Leonard Garcia. And then won his UFC debut by putting the same motherfucker in a twister. Beautiful. It's a beautiful ah, thing. Man. Dude's a Epic. legend. He really basically, I mean, you know, there have been other fighters out there, but he really brought the idea of Korean MMA to the rest of the world. You know? If sure. it weren't for if it weren't for Chan Sung Jung, would we see you know, another five when over the years, like we see the, you know, 10 or 20 or whatever Korean fighters we've seen in the UFC over those years. Probably not. Yeah. You know? Yeah. He paved the way. Definitely paved the way. It, it's one of those things where he put, he put it on the map that people realized, Oh, we need to get more fighters from this part of the world. Cause this guy is amazing. So, yeah. And honestly, Whenever, whenever I see someone have a a an above average chin, like I'm gonna compare them to the Korean zombie. Sure. You know, yeah. you can say what you want about that. It's like, yeah, well, he gets hit. Well, whatever. He's tough. Yeah. He's known for his toughness, and he's kind of the the meter stick. You know, he's like the metric. Like mm-hmm. when I when I think of toughness, are you zombie tough? Because if not, maybe you're not. You know. It's true. He's he's like the benchmark for toughness. So uh, a great, you know, a wonderful career. Didn't ever have the the height of winning the UFC title, but he got to fight for it twice. Yeah. In over a, the, the over a decade, like he had one fight title fight against Jose Aldo. And then a decade later, another title fight. You know, that's pretty that's pretty wild. And uh Knocked out Frankie Edgar. Knocked out Frankie Edgar. Knocked out Hanato Moicano. Beat Dustin Poirier. Darst Dustin Poirier. You know? He's got got some legit wins. He's had a great career. And, yeah, it sucks to see him go out on a knockout like this. I didn't need this fight, but it was, you know. I, I think it was the perfect fight. 
Yeah. I yeah, it, he... it was at least it was meaningful. That's that's the thing. And man, the craziest part, well, not the one of the craziest parts for me is coming in like and I even put this in the little fight card uh, right up leading into this that I personally thought this was his swan song, you know, as close as he's ever been to home. You got Max Holloway like it, it, you can't ask for a better, more top notch opponent to go out on. And uh, man, he's just. He's the deal, right? He's a fan yeah. favorite, so much so that I was, uh, I was like, man, am I rooting against Max Holloway? Yeah. And then, and then the Maui Fire thing happened, and then Matt Max is pouring his heart out, and I was like, oh man, I can't root against Max either. Like, no. I was rooting for both guys out there. Yeah. Like, this and was this was special. I'm glad they booked this. Yeah, I'm sense, not, but, but I'm, I, glad, I, I'm glad they booked it. I'm I'm glad you enjoyed it. I'm I'm glad I'm glad that it was not as dire as I hoped, as I or not hoped, but as I I thought it might be. It. You know who they have to book Max against next, right? I don't know who. There's only one logical ex, you know, logical next move here. Hmm. Giga Chikadze. Oh yeah, yeah. Okay. They have to. Yeah, it makes sense. Outside of Taporia and obviously Volkanovski, everybody else is coming off of a loss. Yeah, and everybody Chikadze's, else. Chikadze is like Taporia is the kind of thing where I don't want to see Holloway Taporia because if 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 Holloway wins, you just you know it's the Arnold Allen thing again. Like you've just wasted a potential contender fight. Sure. And Chikadze is he's much more in a position right now where he he would not he will not be a contender without a win like Max Holloway. Mm-hmm. And so and for him, he's 35. Like that is the kind of fight where it's like, OK, yeah, make it. And if Tapuri, or if uh, Chikadze can win that, then suddenly he is a top contender and if he can't, he's got a very, you know, he's had a great, fun career as an action fight, elite action fighter in the UFC that, you know, certainly people like me did not expect him to ever really have. Shame on you, Zane. Hey, I can't help it. <laughs> I barely scraped by Brandon Davis in his UFC debut. I can't help being like, yeah, maybe it's not, he's not going to be around too long. Oh, look at Alex Pereira's debut. That was a little rough at first, you know. I, I, I'm not saying that I'm right. I'm saying I'm wrong. <laughs> I'm saying that at the time I no, I understand. I definitely I understand. God's skill set and think, oh, this guy is going to be up in the top ten. Well, no, no. I mean, to be fair, he got submitted on the Dana White Contender Series, right? Yeah. So, like, a hundred percent fair assessment. Yeah. It's it's always been tough. You know, traditionally, it's been tough for kickboxers to successfully transition over into MMA. Yeah, especially when they just haven't been doing any grappling clearly for their whole their whole life up to the point that they start doing MMA. Yeah. You know, it's one thing for Israel Adesanya. He started his MMA career like halfway through his kickboxing career. He didn't take a lot of fights at a high level for a long time. But he was taking at regular MMA bouts for like five years before he got to the UFC. 
you know. Mm-hmm. I think Giga would be the perfect fight for Max. Yeah, I can you know? see it. And perfect fight for Giga. Sure. No. Yeah. It's, it is exactly. If you're Giga Chikadze, you he should be you know in the ear of all the matchmakers all the time, being like, hey, I want to fight Max Holloway. Hey, I want to fight yep. Max Holloway. Because yeah, he's he's put himself in position, and Holloway needs to fight somebody. And unfortunately for him, uh, the guys that would have been most interesting otherwise should fight each other. Yeah. And well, it also, you know, the other ones would have been like Henry Cejudo or Aljamain Sterling. And both those fights don't really feel like they're, you know, in a position right now to happen. I mean, and they're not as cool as him and Giga. Let's be honest. Yeah. Yeah. It would it would have been an interesting challenge to watch either Sterling or Cejudo make the jump up to 145 as top contenders, but right now both coming off losses, it's a little bit like eh, I don't know. Yeah. We'll see. We'll see what happens with those two. Anyway, I agree. Max Holloway, Giga Chikazi, that sounds like a lot of fun. Oh, this one fight of the night, didn't it? Uh, fight of the night, yes. Max Holloway, Chan Sung Jung, and having watched the card, uh... yeah, it's like a, it's a, it's a, you know, it's his retirement prize, I guess. Yeah, I, I guess I might have. You know what? Honestly, that's fine too. For for Zombie making the last stand the way he did. Yeah. I'm fine. I'm I'm fine with it. Like that you... that last stand was awesome. Yeah. Because your other choices are going to be like... Oh, Giga Caceres. Or the honestly, you want to know my my real opinion, my truthful, like, man, these guys actually got robbed of of Fight of the Night. Hmm. Uh, Inja Kawani and Ola Seishek. Yeah, that... That's Fight of the Night. It was only a one-round war, but it it was a pretty solid one. Yeah. Anyway. Uh, yeah, Holloway Jung... It was good. Jung Jung competed. I was not as heartbroken and feeling like I didn't need to see this as I was going in. Because for me personally going in, I was very much just like, I don't need to see this fight. But I'm glad that it was not quite as tragic as it could have been, even with Jung getting knocked absolutely out cold flat on his face. Well, it just it just felt like zombies terms. Like yeah, it, it felt like his terms. It wasn't felt like it didn't feel like when Nate Diaz got booked against Chemaev. No, it, it it's true. There is that. All right, that brings us to a light heavyweight bout, and this is this, all you, man. Credit credit where credit is due. <laughs> <laughs> you called this one, Zane. I mean. Like people were saying, everyone was picking Ryan Spawn. I was like, he literally just lost this fight. It just happened, and he lost it. And the thing with Anthony Smith is he doesn't. He often looks like he wants to quit a fight. Like that—that's I think what fools a lot of people. Like when he got hurt in the second round of this fight. Yeah. And he's like putting his arms up so that they're like. His hands are literally behind his head. That is how high his guard was. Is that he's like cupping the back of his head, holding his head. 
And when he's doing that and he's like turning away and like stumbling and falling into the fence and all that, you just you watch that and you're like, man, Anthony Smith does not want to be here anymore. Yeah. He, of course. He, he is cooked. He is done. And he often has moments like that in fights. But the thing is, then you watch a whole Anthony Smith fight for the whole thing, and he never actually quits. No. Like, he never goes away easily in a fight. Never. Even that, like, horrible fight he had with Alexander Rakic, where he basically just got out-wrestled the whole time. Oh, still dude, screw around. that. That Glover fight, holy shit. Yeah. Glover beat the piss out of him until the referee finally, finally was like, all right, dude. Yeah. He's tough. He is tough and he will keep trying stuff. And and Ryan Spawn is just he is just not a put together fighter. He's huge, he hits hard, but he doesn't have there's no process to what Ryan Spawn wants to do. There's no Oh, I'm going to build and I'm going to, you know, keep my output up, pour it on. I'm going to work from the outside and kick the legs or I'm going to jab the body and go up to the head. I'm going to set this up or do that. It's just I'm going to throw one twos. And and if those don't work, I'll try some takedowns. Well, that's half the equation. The other half is he's he for whatever reason refuses to capitalize on his physical tools he just will not romp on that gas pedal. Well, that's what I mean. Is that there's no plan. There's no. But you don't need a plan for that. Is yeah. what I'm saying, like, dude, yeah. bite the fuck down and let it go. You got a one eye. You got Popeye in front of you. He's got one eye. Yeah. Why is he still in this fight? Yeah. That's crazy. This is a frustrating. If you're a Ryan Span fan, this is a, a this is a brutal fight to watch. This is frustrating. You yeah. even hear Span's coach. Who is it safe? Is that his his coach? Uh, yeah. He's he's he goes, don't let him off the hook. And yeah. what does he do? He lets him off the hook. And I mean, in in some ways, I can sympathize a little with Bond because every time he before this fight, every single other time that he's lost is with the exception of a couple of early legacy fights, early fights. Every other time he's lost is because he tried to go crazy and got finished instantly. Like, yeah, and that that happened against Smith. That happened against Smith the first time. He, he lost in a, you know, he, he's lost in the first round three, four, you know, four, five times in his career. He's lost in the first round. So I can understand why he would think that he needs patience, but like. Which he does need patience, but once Smith was grabbing yeah. his head the way you were describing, yeah, that's when you gotta go. Yeah. Well, the the other part is that he also just needs defense, and he doesn't have any at all. Connor's talked about this a bunch. Ryan Spawn just does not. He doesn't see right. anything. He doesn't understand right. when he's in position to be hit. Right. So it, I think for him, it's also really hard to then convince himself, "Hey, I got to step on the gas," right. when like. Every time he steps on the gas, he just walks into hooks from Anthony Smith, and he doesn't ever Jabs. see him. He's yeah. walking into everything. He, he Not does, to mention uh, the leg I, kicks of Anthony Smith were adding up. Yep. So a gutsy performance from Smith, and for Spawn, it's just like this is 
you might always be the bridesmaid for your career, despite mm. being a six foot five, massive wingspan, prime athletic, still only 32 year old light heavyweight. You might be a guy who just never fights for a title ever because the elite opponents in this division are always going to be able to take advantage of the mistakes you make. Yeah. You know? It's sad. It's a sad case. It's it's um it's a mental thing, it seems like. If you could just transplant like a Volkanovsky kind of brain into him. Oh, well, yeah, you shit. get Volkanovsky, you know, you Frankenstein any fighter with Alexander Volkanovsky and you're you're headed towards championship territory. Yeah, I don't know. You give it to Chase Hooper, I'm not so sure. <laughs> you know, no disrespect to Chase Hooper. I'm just Yeah, no, but he, the physical tools are all there. Yeah, span is a specimen. This is this is a such a winnable fight for him. He could have won this. He he could have finished Anthony Smith. I think I mean I think a lot of it is too though that just as he you know, it's all it's the curse for for Spawn. It's also the curse of athleticism. Where like I th- I'm pretty sure he he was the one who was talking about that not that long ago that like the first time he actually had a real professional fight camp was like to fight Dominic Reyes. Oh wow, what? And that like all the that rest- was last year. Yeah, that all the rest of the time he was basically just like showing up to the gym to train every now and you know what whatever and then taking fights. That's nuts, man. Cause he knocked out Lil Nog doing that. Yeah, no, he he. It's it's like if you're that athletic and you're that huge, you can see why he would he would do it. You just you know, it's like, well, I I can win. I I always have the tools to compete. I don't have to try hard. But that you know, it it is it has kept his game at a very shallow place for a very long time. Yeah, I mean, look at that Krylov loss. That was brutal. <laughs> I don't know. I, I feel bad for Span fans. Yeah, or I think I'm. I'm I, yeah, I'm pretty sure it's Ryan Span that I'm thinking of here. If it, if it's not, I'm just gonna feel bad. But his game is still just shallow. It, it is still a one twos and takedown attempts, and there's just not a lot of other tools there that he's he's working with. A Maybe. guillotine that people, you know, like to talk about as being good because he got it a couple times, but it's mostly just a terrible idea because he lets himself get taken down. Yeah, I'm not sure what it is. Maybe he's not like really a fighter. Like maybe he does. He's doing it because he can. I don't yeah. know. I don't know. Maybe he doesn't really like it. Could be. I think it's just. I think it's just the insulation by of athleticism and size where, you know, you're that big, you're that fast. You don't really, it, it's going to take a long time in your career to feel like you're getting pressed to a point that you have to improve. Oh, well. Oh, well. I think it's time for Anthony Smith to fight Krylov. Yeah, I can see that. Let's see. That'd be funky. That'd be a weird. That'd be a funky match. I'm gonna pull up the light heavyweight rankings here because I remember I wanted to see Krylov take on Roundtree, but I could also see Anthony Smith there. Absolutely. Um, 
Or, you know, honestly, what we could also probably get once he's healed up is Smith versus Mirzakhanov. Mm. Man, I don't know if Smith would take that. He probably wouldn't. Smith is the kind of dude who tends to only he, – he tends to view himself as a perennial contender, and every win he gets should put him in title contention. I I would be not at all surprised if Krylov or I mean he's not wrong. Yeah, he's I mean anyone can say that in that division. Yeah, it's true. It's true. I I wouldn't also be surprised if he was looking for, you know, a fight with Blahovich or something like that. Sure, that's it. That's fun too. But a decent perform, a gutsy performance for Smith. The kind of performances he's he's known for is, you know, getting beat up and still being in there. And for Spawn, just yeah, you th- this is you've now had two cracks. He's had four. He's had three or four cracks up at top, really truly elite level competition, and keeps getting pushed back. Has the tools, just needs yeah. to figure it out. All right. That brings us to the featherweight bout. Giga Chikadze, Alex Caceres, and um, pretty much exactly the fight I expected, but Caceres did really pretty well at, at that fight. I expected him to do well. I was hoping he wasn't going to try to take the fight down to the ground and look for submissions, which I think he could have very well done and found a lot of success there doing it. But uh, he chose to stand and bang. He typically gives his opponents the fights they want. And Giga, Giga got the fight he wanted here, and it was highly competitive throughout. But Giga just packs a little more venom, a little more sting. And, uh... A little more yeah. technical, a little straighter, a little more fluid, a little sharper on the release. Uh, and just yeah, that's polished. Yep. Better yeah, traps, better setups. Just, you know, it's, it's, uh, I think, but to your surprise, Caceres definitely held his own against a world class yeah. glory, former glory kickboxer. For like sure. he was able to put the volume out there. He was able to, he never, he got stung a couple times, but he never got hurt that badly no and he was able to you know constantly step in and like land little uppercuts on chikadze inside and keep himself busy land a lot of kicks and stuff like that and just generally be competitive this was the kind of fight where every round was a close but clear enough 10-9 to be judged for chikadze but like if caceres had stung Chikadze really badly in any one of those rounds, you would score that round for Caceres. You know, they were close enough that it wasn't like, oh, Chikadze's just styling out there and Caceres can't keep up with them. It's like, no, if Caceres had wobbled Chikadze a couple of times, he might have won this fight 29-28, but he didn't. Yeah, but he still, he showed up. Yeah, he showed up, had a good fight, just... Same old thing for Caceres. He will literally just have whatever fight his opponent wants. Yeah. And Chikadze wanted wants a range kickboxing match. Alex Caceres will give him a range kickboxing match. So. 
I thought this was going to be fight of the night. Yeah, it was it was solid. It just it was because no nobody got hurt that bad. Right. It just ended up exactly. in a very that very even simmer fight mm-hmm. where you're like, oh, you know, it's not boring. It's just it doesn't change at all. Right. Three. Exactly. Um, I did like what did change though was Giga's post fight interview. He's like, oh, I have a big announcement to make, and he gets all serious for a second, and he's like, Giga's back, motherfuckers. <laughs> I loved it. I absolutely loved it. It was at that moment I realized he should fight Max Holloway next. Sure. I, I'll watch it. Let's see what else is up there at the, in the top of the division. A bunch of people coming off of losses, unless it, it's Taporia or the champion. Yeah. Uh, it, it's, either, it's either fight Max Holloway or take a winner-loser fight like Arnold Allen or Brandon or Brian Ortega or fight you know take a really bad idea no 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 <laughs> <laughs> there's no reason for that uh, don't even bring it up zane <laughs> sorry don't sorry even for, speak it sorry for putting that energy out into the yeah. universe what's wrong with you man this is a daytime card come on now <laughs> we'll bring that nighttime negativity over here <sighs> but yeah Good performance for Chikadze. Solid fight. Pretty much the fight I expected. Just a little bit better for Caceres than I thought. He he showed up really good in this. He just showed up to fight his opponent's fight, which is also what he does. All right. That brings us to a Bantamweight bout. Rinya Nakamura, Fernie Garcia, and a really well-booked fight from the UFC to give Nakamura... A small step up against a game opponent and build some momentum and build some confidence, you know? Yeah, 100%. Top prospect here. Yeah, he looked great. His wrestling looked great. His control looked great. His striking looked good. Once he got Garcia thinking about the wrestling, he was able to do a lot and land a lot of shots later in the fight. And... Yeah, Garcia is a fairly low output, likes to counter, gives up initiative, doesn't wrestle that well. Fighter is a good, it was a good booking for the UFC for Nakamura off, you know, a win over as Toshiomi Kazama down further on the card where it's pretty clear even the more, the more space we get from that, the more clear it was that Nakamura was always going to win that fight. Right. Uh, This is, a good little nudge forward. Like here's a here's a here's a guy that's not gonna go away. That's hard to break, but everything you do is still gonna work on him. I love the way he was hunting submissions. Yeah, like he wasn't really he he never really got to him. Um, he had one really gorgeous spin for an armbar. Yeah, at one point, but. He was constantly just switching from, you know, an arm triangle to a Kimura trap to a straight arm lock to he just was always hunting, trying to, you know, just surf from one one move to the next, always keeping Garcia on the defensive. Like he never really had a moment to even try to begin to get up. Yeah. And I really love too to see there was a a point I think he tried a. uh, Was it a. Dars or was it an? I think 
Or was it a north-south choke at one it point? It was the north-south choke. It was the north-south choke at one point. And he couldn't get it, and he let it go. But the moment he let it go, he was just right on top of Garcia, locking oh, yeah. down a dominant position again. Every time he hunted a submission and didn't get it, he would immediately go back to a control position. Oh, shout out to Max Holloway attempting that Dars on the zombie doing the same thing. Yeah, yeah. Forgot to mention that. So his his ability to not only be aggressive on the mat, but to keep control and keep position on the mat, that looks really great. That's the kind of thing, yeah, you know. That's that wrestling base. Yeah. Like submission hunting's great and all, and I love it. But when you prioritize your position, whoo, yeah. that's that's the fundamentals right there. Exactly. It's the kind of thing that can carry Nakamura a long way in this division because it only keeps getting harder, you know, like right. it is it, it is a very small step to go from somebody like Fernie Garcia to somebody like uh, uh, what's his name? Uh, who's anyone at Bantamweight, really? Yeah. Bantamweight's some that's the worst division in my opinion to <laughs> compete you know, in. Something that's... like Casey Kenny, you sure. know, who's like he's not he, he's a mid pack bantamweight, but he he's almost been a top fifteen guy. He he went to split decisions with Song Yudong and Dominic Cruz and beat Nathaniel Wood, right. you know, and he's just a dude floating around in the middle of the pack in that division. Yeah, it's a tough division. It is a very tough division. So, like I said, this is a well-booked fight from the UFC to inch Nakamura forward because, yeah, he looks like a great prospect. And he's only been doing this for a couple of years. So he needs that slow play. Uh, That brings us to a woman's flyweight fight. Aaron Blanchfield... Tyler Santos, and I was feeling nervous for a minute here because <laughs> coming coming in for this, my read for the vivisection read was sure Blanchfield's striking is stiff and awkward, a little awkward, but she knows how to press her game, and Tyler Santos just doesn't. She doesn't she doesn't keep pace and pressure at an elite level. For as strong as she is, as physical as she is. But Santos in that first round, she came out and she just started busting Blanchfield up. Every time Blanchfield tried to press forward, she just ate a big shot. And I was like, oh, man, Santos is looking clean out there. She's looking. Not only was she landing a good shot, but she would then just immediately throw a knee up the middle in case the shot was coming right after it. Yeah, it was a it was great. Great fighting from Santos in that opening round, uh, but it's you know it, the 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 grand scheme of things still played out that Blanchfield knows how to step on the gas and she knows you know e- even through that she just started being like well I'm gonna eat shots I need to press this per- I need to press Santos I need to get her into harder more scrambling more clinch grinding exchanges where the fact that she might catch me coming in doesn't change the fact that she's not going to, you know, she's going to be getting controlled and she's going to have to be dealing with me for two minutes after every shot she lands. 
And you, you have to credit Santos also for all the takedown defense she, yeah. she had. I mean, she was stuffing damn near everything, but she wasn't getting off the cage. Yeah. It's, and that's that's what did her in here. She wasn't able to get off the cage, and it just zapped her. So by yep. the end of the third, when she had open space, she was the one getting pieced up because she she was so slow and lethargic out there. Just because she was she was dealing with grappling in a grueling just clinch yeah. war the whole time. No, she she uh, Blanchfield's pace gassed her out. You know that's the the unfortunate thing too for somebody like Santos is you know. You see fighters like her where, you know, Tyron Woodley kind of had the same thing. Whereas, like, for years, Tyron Woodley is like this very cautious, very slow-paced powerhouse. And you see later on in his career when he started getting pressed and people stopped, you know, they stopped respecting him so much. And he had to try to start stepping on the gas. And it would just, it would drain him. And you see Santos coming out here. It's like, oh, wow, she started this this first round hot. But Aaron, Aaron Blanchfield's the one setting the pace. And by the end of the fight, Tyler Santos can't keep that pace going. She's not used to it. Well, it's the pace and it's the, the commanding of the fight. Yeah. She wasn't commanding the fight at all. She was letting Blanchfield dictate where the fight was happening. Yeah. Santos had no business with her back to the cage, but that's where she spent most of the fight. Yep. It's, uh, you know, Blanchfield is, it's interesting because outside of her grappling, her game is not that, not that pretty, but she knows how to win. She, you know, this is a fighter who is always making the right tactical decision in the fight. And it, that pays off really well so yeah i'm curious to see what they do with her next yeah i mean she's gonna be right there in title contention talk you know you got a we got a rematch between shevchenko and grasso coming up here and either you know maybe if shevchenko wins it they do a trilogy with grasso but certainly if grasso wins it Blanchfield has to be looking at that title and being like, I can beat this woman, you know? Uh, I think she would think that, yeah. Yeah, because Grasso's not a physical, you know, she's not a physical beast out there. She's not the kind of fighter that's going to... She'll, she'll put hands on you, though. Blan- oh, no, she, <laughs> she could do a lot of what Tyler Santos did boxing way her way up. Way better, way better. Way better, but it's all she's not, you know... For Shevchenko, the danger for for Blanchfield against somebody like Shevchenko or Manon Fioro would be like, can I tie this person up and control them physically? With Grasso, she's going to feel like, I'm sure she's going to feel like she can. She can oh, wait. Manon's about to fight Rose Nama Eunice. Maybe yeah. the winner of that will fight this. Well, the winner of that might will probably just skip Blanchfield and go right to the title. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Sorry, Blanchfield. Especially after be- this performance. Yeah, it could be that Blanchfield would be left waiting around. She could fight somebody like, uh, well, I mean, Macy Barber's coming up, you know. So if if the UFC wanted to book that, I wouldn't be, I wouldn't be mad about it. But yeah, Blanchfield can also probably just she's 24. If she wants to just sit and you know say, okay, I'll wait eight months and 
see if I can't just get a title shot out of this. She could, you know. She's might, got time well, well, that's that's risky because it might be even longer than that. Like you were saying, if they do the trilogy with Grosso sure. and Shevchenko, and then you got the winner of Manon and Rose next sure. in line, we're talking, <laughs> we're talking well, like two yeah, years. You, you could you could say, okay, I'll wait eight months and then take whatever fight I have to at that point. Yeah, you know, pretty, she'll probably have to fight again. She probably will. Yeah, I forgot that Fiero Nami Yunus fight very much looks like a that's next weekend. Yeah, and that that will very likely be a, a title contender determining fight. All right, that brings us to the true two outcome heavyweight fight of the card, where uh, Junior Tafa Parker Porter and it was basically just. Does Junior Taffa knock Parker Porter out before getting taken down? And especially when you grab the fence like that, you do. <laughs> he had like three. He, he Parker Porter had that single leg. No doubt, no doubt in my mind. But uh, you know, uh, it's heavyweight, man. <laughs> it's heavyweight. I, I, I'm not mad about it, but it uh, it is one of those just like. There were only two ways this fight was going, and the easy to see one was Junior Taffa knocking Parker Porter out. Yeah, um, uh, Parker man, he just seems—I don't know—it's just not heavyweight durable. I mean, he's not a—he's not a great athlete either, which is going to be double trouble. But he—he—he's a smart, clever fighter who has good ideas. But he does not have a, a a chin in a division where you live off that chin. Yeah, being clever at heavyweight isn't a good thing. No, because usually, I mean, being clever is what you do when you're in trouble, right? Yeah, like, you, you stick to the basics and the fundamentals, and when that doesn't work, then you got to be clever. Yeah. Like, yeah. No, I love I love Parker Porter. He's one of those dudes where it's like, oh man, you got a heavyweight out who will go out there and like jab the body. And like low kick and fight his way inside and like figure, okay, I need to get takedowns to win this and like do some game planning and some like actual strategizing. So I always like to root for him. But this is a division full of guys like Junior Taffa who will just be like, yeah, I'm just going to hit you really hard and we'll see what happens. Well, his brother did it. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's in the family. It's in the family. Um. Uh, takes a speaking of which to another heavyweight fight against a guy who doesn't do much other than hit hard and a fighter uh, and a heavyweight who until this date had been durable and tries to be clever. And once again, this is not the division for clever. No. Waldo Cortez, Lucas Breschke came out there and he's just like, I'm kicking the leg. I'm doing all the clever things. I'm making sure I'm hurting, you know, trying to peck away at this guy, keep safe and all that. And Waldo Cortez Coast is just like, what if I just what if I just swang hammers at you? What well, you no, know? he got the he got the uh, the call from the catcher that he liked fastball yeah, in the middle. Right. And he said bet. <laughs> he wound up and he fucking threw it. Yeah, that's yeah. what he's got, man. He does. Baseball players have the man. They are some of the, the the best athletes in the world at transferring the energy from their legs into their arms, into their hand, like period. Yeah. 
And that's Acosta. Yep. He's he has everything it takes to be a prospect in this division. He's huge, he's tough, and he hits like a truck. Man, the cartoon <laughs> this is so cartoonish. And I was like <laughs> the dude landed on his neck. Yeah. Like how do you land on your neck? Uh, it was a weird, 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 goofy knockout. Yeah, it was. That was a rough one. Feel for Breschke. But uh, Cortez Acosta, you know, I'm glad to see him keep rolling. There's a base skill set there that if all he does is slowly improve on it and pick it up, he can be a top. He, he can be a perennial top 10 guy for a few years in this division. And as long as the catcher is calling for that fastball down the pipe. He's got it. Yep. Uh, then, let's see. That brings us to Garrett Armfield, Toshiomi Kazama, and uh, yeah, this this didn't surprise me. <laughs> I was surprised. I think a lot of our staff picked I picked. Kazama. Yeah, I, I did. I know I went the other way. And I was like, man... Kazama is like the prototype, what people think of as the J, the JMMA fighter who can't make it in the big leagues. Where it's like, okay, yeah, they can do a, a few, they have a few nifty tricks in every discipline and none of it is stitched together well at all. And Armfield, like, yeah, that Onama fight was tough, but he's just a natural bantamweight. He didn't belong in, in the featherweight division. And he's a solid wrestle boxer. He just went out there and put it on him. He stormed his castle. <laughs> he looked so good. He just put hands on Kazama. Yep. That was, man, I don't know. I think Kazama owed him money or something. Was it a deal gone bad? I don't know, but. Yeah. <laughs> it's just... I don't think Kazama had a single second in this fight. Yeah. It was, it was, like I say, Kazama's just not, he's not cut out to be here. You know, the the pieces are not in place to compete at a level where people are just going to press you and they're not going to they're not going to back off and respect you for landing a, a good right hand or hit being able to potentially hit a double leg or something like that. You know, and Armfield yeah. just went out there and it's just like, no, nah, I'm just going to walk you down. And what are you going to do about it? I respect it. Yep. That brings us to. As you say, what probably got robbed for fight of the night, Michael Oleksajuk, Chidi and Jakawani, and man, all credit to Chidi. You got to feel for feel for him because he's always been kind of a slow paced, be cautious, pick your moment and electrify in those moments when you pick him. And he came out here was like, no, I'm just gonna come out here and I am gonna fuck this dude up. All knees, all power. Mm-hmm. Go after him, put it on him, get him out of here. And it looked like it was going to work for a minute. For about 60 seconds, yeah. And then Alexejek was just like, nah, I'm just, I'm still here and still crazy and still going to start swinging huge overhands at you. Man, I wanted Njikawani to win this so badly. I really did, and I thought he was for a second. He looked like a world beater for 60 seconds yeah. out there. Absolute world beater. Some of the crispest 
Muay Thai I've ever seen in the octagon. Yeah. I mean, the knees were phenomenal. He was kicking out the leg. I mean, but then he just started getting tagged and he started getting tired and he started making mistakes. And then he was on the bottom and, you know, yeah. it just kind of it snowballed on him. And, and before you know it, that's it. There is an underlying tendency he's always had. Because he's, he's been, like I say, he's such an opportunist in the past where he's like, okay, I'll wait and see what you do and then pick off, you know, when you make a mistake, I'll pick you off. And that kind of fighting from him has always led to him being easy to back up into the cage. So that even when he was coming out hell-bent for leather early in this fight, Alexeja could always still press him backwards. And the more he could do that, the moment you hit your back hits the cage against Alexeja he is going to throw a huge overhand at you. The moment he knows you can't go any further back than you are already, he is going to try to tag you. And do that enough times, you know? Yeah. And, I mean, the knock on Inji Kawani kind of, or at least earlier in his career, in his Bellator days, was he kind of had that little brother syndrome where, like, he'll press you, but once you press him back, he's going to move backwards. Yeah. He's going to concede and and start uh he relinquishes command of the cage yep his brother anthony Njikawani, ufc veteran he actually just fought um back in may on cinco de mayo in a bare knuckle on game bread's yeah. bare knuckle i was gonna say i think he he moved over to the bk uh, to the bare knuckle fighting didn't he yeah he didn't he, he got choked out but i didn't it's crazy that he's still yeah no kidding he's 43 around. now good on him yeah but hey at least you know at least it's in in the case of Alexejic versus Njikawani you know you're sacrificing one fun action fighter to another fun action fighter yeah so and that's the thing another cool fight for Alexejic in the future Alexejic got a bonus Njikawani did not yeah well they they gave that one to the Korean zombie (laughs) <laughs> at least they got at least he got something at least one of them got something out of that fight because that was a pretty yeah. fun fight yeah, for sure all right that brings me to a welterweight fight probably to me the biggest surprise on the card for me song Kinan against Rolando bedoya oh yeah and, yeah i i really thought bedoya's durability and pace would would tip this for him and early on it did like he was just Marching Keenan down, throwing all the volume, landed all the shots and everything. But uh, credit to Keenan. He hurt Bedoya in the second round. And then Bedoya, he, he kind of tired himself out trying to push his own pace. And Well, I'm going to go ahead and just cre- – let me just credit myself for picking song here first yeah. and foremost. Uh, sure. Pat myself on. I would do that if I were you. On so. the back. Yeah. Uh, the thing is, Bedoya, he's got like this kind of poor man Vicente Luque style. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, and yeah. I like it. It's fun. Uh, his fight with Chaos was Chaos. Uh, yeah. But Chaos is someone who comes forward with with just aggression and he lets the combinations go. And Song is not. No. Song is is a is like a one punch kind of guy. He, he is like a one punch per minute kind of guy. Often yeah. it is like 
such a slow pace, but it, it's powerful. And he well, that's like that's it. he was brought up. He didn't practice yeah. combination striking, you know, for his almost entire martial arts upbringing. So yeah. he's a he's a, a solo striking kind of guy. And so he, I, I figured he wasn't going to be giving Bedoya those openings that Chaos was giving him. And sure shit, he didn't. <laughs> you know, he sat back that first round, like you were saying, and let Bedoya just throw whatever. And then he kind of figured him out yeah. from the second and third round and just throwing basic fundamental jabs, crosses, just basic things um, while Bedoya was being reckless and throwing his volume song was just sniping him and i think he even dropped him in the song dropped him in the third round i thought it was the second but maybe maybe it was the third uh maybe maybe it was the second let me Um, see i can check the stats oh yeah no it was it was was the second yeah yeah yeah. Yeah. but you know he was neutralizing him he was just neutralizing bedoya and it's uh that's command. I keep saying it, but this is this is cage command. Song was able yeah. to command a wild Bedoya, and I it mean, took it's... him dropping that first round to get to figure it out. But yeah, he did. You know, it's it's a, it's one of those things too where like Bedoya landed a hundred more significant strike or no, threw a hundred more significant strikes rather, and only landed forty more. Yeah. So it's you know it's a real testament to. Kanan's efficiency in this fight that like he just was able to do more with less so yeah, yeah I mean, I, it's, it's really a brilliant performance when you like really look at it yeah dude threw a wave of volume at him in in the way he navigated it it's almost like this was like he been he's been preparing his whole life for this fight right here yeah it it was a great performance for him. Like I said, it was I, w- I was surprised. I thought that uh, given how durable Bedoya is and how low output Song can be, Bedoya would just be able to to you know. I was out, surprised. Out, the out, odds. Yeah. Did you see the betting odds on this one? No, or, oh, I did at some point, but I forgot them. But what were they? Uh, uh, Bedoya was a minus three twenty five favorite. Yeah, that's like what off of what off of that one fight he had. Like, do you forget that song almost beat Ian Gary? Yeah, he almost beat Ian Gary. He did. I mean, he got worked like a punch press every other minute of that fight, but he he did almost knock him out. Yeah. Yeah. Plus 260 on song here. Yeah. No respect. All right. That brings us to. A point I get to pat myself on the back. Billy Goff, mm-hmm. Yusaku Kinoshita. And I really Bad. didn't want this to be true because I <laughs> like how precise and how, uh, what great timing Kinoshita has. Mm-hmm. Like his whole style is based on precision and timing. And I love that. I want that to work. I want that to be good for him. But it is such a it either works perfectly or he just starts getting outfought everywhere kind of style. But this was different. This was it was working perfectly until he got punched like just perfect. The perfect cross 
I mean, he was also just getting pressured a lot as it at, it was working perfectly for a while. But Goff is so relentless that it just you get fighters in the UFC who where if you're going to be throwing like, oh, I'm going to throw the perfect one two. I don't have any defense to go behind it. And I don't have the the precision of it required means that if you if you make this a flirt, an exchange that goes past two strikes, I'm not going to be able to set up my shots over and over and over again the way I want. Like, for somebody like Goff, all he had to do was keep pressing him, and if he didn't get knocked out, it's like the, all the opportunities to hit Kinoshita are going to be right there. Sure. You know? It's just... I love the game, but it is such a finely tuned, you know, like at least Leota Machida had some layers of wrestling behind that kind of game and a lot of footwork to keep you away from him behind that kind of game. You got to have other things where Kinoshita, it's really just like, I am going to, I am going to absolutely crush you as you step in. Or if you let me step forward, I will lunge in and find the perfect moment. But there's nothing else. It's just those two, those two stages. Yeah, the the body cross was phenomenal, though. It was. It was a beautiful shot. Absolutely Goff. gorgeous. You rarely, and I, I'm pretty sure it pierced the liver. They kept saying solar plexus, but no, nah, that looked like it hit the liver. I thought it was the wrong side for the liver. No, was... no, no. It landed on the on the right side of the body. Okay. The, the liver, I mean, it runs. It's pretty large, you know, relatively yeah. speaking. True. I, anywhere in that rib cage you're, or north of it, you're pretty much going to hit it. Yeah, yeah. It was it was just a great shot from Goff, and I really like his. I I like he's he's the kind of fighter. He almost always seems like he's going to be starting. He's going to be getting hit a lot early and starting slow in a lot of his fights. But he's a fighter who ramps things up in a hurry. Like, Were they saying he had double knee surgery? Was that it? I I don't know. I was. I, I thought was the broadcast of... was saying something about that. Yeah, he had mm. he had knee surgery. Um. Yeah, I don't know why he was out for the last right right year plus. Because yeah, he fought for the contender series last year. Yeah. In uh, yeah, I mean it's been so yeah, just well, over a year. Since that he didn't seem to to bother him at all. No, he's fun. He's a momentum building fighter. This was a fun performance, and unfortunately for Kinoshita, Japan only gets one prospect at a time. <laughs> I think that's the the kind of the rule of J- Japanese MMA for the last fifteen years is you get one good fighter at a time. Oh. Well, maybe in the UFC. In the UFC. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not saying in the whole world, but in, in the UFC. <laughs> in the UFC, yeah. All right. That brings us to a flyweight bout, or a woman's flyweight bout, J.J. Aldrich, Leong Na. And, uh, yeah, as it's going into this, I, my feeling was just like, man, if Aldrich loses this, then there are no fights in the UFC she can win. This would be really sad. Yeah. And she didn't. She 
not not through a few wrenches, you know, a few few moments of panic in there with some headlock throws and stuff like that. But every moment Aldrich wasn't scrambling to get up off her back, she was dominating. Yeah, I thought it was a pretty smart fight for JJ. Yeah. I think taking it down and just pounding away, like smart. Yep. No need to stand and bang, just get the fight over with. Yeah, good performance from her. Solid performance and uh, a win she had to get. This was I, I, I really I really liked Aldrich's game for a long time, but it does it does it feels like it's just not clicked at a level that it needs to. You know, every time she takes even a small step up athletically, she just seems to lose. And uh, but this was not a, a step up athletically, so this was a point for her to really shine. And she did. Yeah, and she did. And otherwise, we got uh, Choi Sung Woo or Sung Woo Choi against Jarno Aaron's, and uh, a solid, decent fight from from Choi. Uh, you know, it was bet. It was good to see him battle through adversity and to pick his spots and find a lot of good moments in a tough fight because Choi seems like a fighter who has all the tools to be much better than he has been in the UFC so far. Yeah. I know you love that second round when Jarno stepped in with that leading with that rear uppercut to score the knockdown. I know you like that, Zane. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> It works. It, it you know, it MMA works. is a sandbox sport. Anything works when you're like having to expect five other things at the same time. I I, I will, you know, I'm not gonna th- throw it out entirely. I just, you know, it sounds like it's growing on you. <sighs> well, like a fungus, like a fungus. <laughs> but yeah, all right, fine fight. Whatever. Yeah. Nothing. Nothing too too special. Overall, decent card. Good yeah. Act. Yeah. Didn't. Di- I, it was nice to watch in the morning. Didn't depress me as much as I thought it would. And uh, yeah, all that good stuff. That was a noble send off for the Korean zombie. Yeah. Substack subscribers, now we're going to jump over and have a little tiny bit of bonus content for y'all with our patented five-star review process, going up and down the fight, taking one last quick look at all the fights on the card. To access the bonus content of this show, you must be a paid subscriber. To do that, go to bloodyelbowpodcast.substack.com and subscribe today. Thank you for tuning in to this Bloody Elbow Podcast production. Subscribe at bloodyelbowpodcast.substack.com. Give us your email and receive notifications when your favorite shows drop straight into your inbox. We're also found on a wide variety of podcast outlets. Just search for Bloody Elbow Podcast and you will get new shows throughout the week, including the MMA Bunker and MMA Tete-a-Tete shows with Kid Nate, the Level Change Podcast, the Hey, Not the Face Podcast, the MMA Vivisection main card and prelims UFC preview shows, the sixth round post-fight show, the Show Money podcast, and the MMA Depressed Us.